Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors, AM 830. I am Rob Dreesline. I'm the uh, managing editor, publisher of Outdoor News, but I get the pleasure of trying to entertain everybody here for this next 60 minutes. Uh, and as I said a couple weeks ago, who needs football when you got live local outdoor radio content coming at you right now on WCCO Outdoors? January 15th, 2023, halfway through the month. Still, uh, you know, not great ice out there. Uh, I, You know, people who know way more about ice making than me have told me that this warm-up that we got this weekend, which allowed us to clear our driveways and, and uh, get those roads cleared off a little bit, is probably good. May have melted some of the snow on the ice, and, you know, we're going to get some cold nights again. That's going to refreeze, and maybe we're finally on our way to locking up some little better ice conditions out there. We are going to have my friend Sharon Steitler. She goes by the handle Bird Chick. You can uh, follow her on Twitter and all the other social media platforms. She's a longtime friend of mine, joined me on a lot of radio shows over the years. She's up in Alaska as we speak, uh, but she is going to join us in about 10 minutes or so, and we will talk to her about bird watching. Uh, that's something we haven't talked about yet on this program. Yeah, looking for some other topics to kick around here a little bit, correct, as we. Uh, we deal with a long winter, and I don't want to just talk ice fishing all the time. Next week, by the way, I'm hoping to maybe spend some time talking about uh, winter trout fishing. Uh, that is underway, catch and release season in southeastern Minnesota. Uh, as we speak, that is, uh, we're talking brookies, we're talking rainbow trout, we're talking brown trout. Uh, it's all barbless, no bait, but it's a great time. Boy, today would have been an awesome day uh, to get down there. You know, warm day. Believe it or not, you get some bugs that actually hatch on a day like this, uh, some little tiny nymphs will will hatch, and uh, you can have some success fly fishing. Uh, you were talking pretty small stuff, but uh, I've got a great guest who's going to just join us next week to talk about that a little bit. We got this DNR roundtable coming up this Friday. I got the agenda to that. I might talk about that a little bit later. There's some pretty neat items on the agenda. I'm cautiously optimistic about how that event will go. Uh, for sure, a week from today, we will also talk about that. Maybe I'll even get old Tim Spielman, the uh, Minnesota editor of Outdoor News, on uh, to get a little feedback from him, see what he thought uh, of the roundtable. Uh, the big news this week I want to talk about first off is that uh, Pheasants Forever, which, of course, is based in St. Paul, uh, one of the largest conservation organizations <clears throat> in the country, one of the most respected, I would argue, and I'm not just being a parochial on that. I genuinely really believe in the Pheasants Forever Habitat mission uh, that they do there. Uh, they've, that organization has only had two leaders in its entire tenure. It's, uh, what, it started in, what, 1982, so the group is 40 years old. By the way, they've got their big Pheasant Fest, their big 40th anniversary Pheasant Fest coming to Minneapolis Convention Center. Exact dates, February 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that, that, uh, that middle weekend of February. I will be down there all weekend. Uh, except, of course, when I come to broadcast uh, a few blocks away uh, here at WCCO Studios. But that is that is always a great event, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be um, hosting a panel discussion on that, moderating. Pheasants River is hosting it on that Saturday I hope uh, on a conservation topic. I hope we get a lot of folks uh, that come down to that. But like I said, Pheasants River has just had two leaders in its entire tenure, Jeff Finden, who I believe was one of the co-founders. Jeff was also a gentleman who sold ads at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. He was an ad sales executive. Uh, And he was the first leader of PF, I think, for its first 18 years. 
uh, did a fine job getting the organization rolling. And then Howard Vincent, who was, I think, their CFO, controller kind of guy, came from an accounting background, very, very smart individual. Uh, when Jeff, uh, you know, I think, kind of retired, Howard took over as the CEO and has done just a bang-up job growing that organization. And I said PF is respected. Well, Howard Vincent is one of the most respected people in the business of conservation in North America. Uh, great guy, great leader, great manager. Uh, there have been a couple times in my career when there were some things I was looking at doing when I had the opportunity to to ask Howard for some advice, and he mentored me a little bit, and I really appreciated that. Uh, but Howard has decided, he announced last year, that he's going to retire. So PFO embarked on a long search to find its third CEO slash president in the history of the organization, and they announced on Monday who that person is. And her name, yes, it's a her, the first uh, woman leader of the organization, Marilyn Vetter, and I had the opportunity to interview her on Monday. I asked if we could get her on WCCO Outdoors, and I'm told she doesn't start full-time until February uh, and that uh, she's going to be kind of shadowing Howard in the job for several months, probably till maybe June, and maybe once to kind of get her feet under her, get to know the organization a little better. She's been on the board for like seven years, so she knows PF very well already. But uh, before she, she came on radio, she wanted to at least be working at the organization full-time. So I respect that. Uh, and so uh, I will just kind of share some of my thoughts. I interviewed her. By the way, you can read my column about her, my Outdoor Insights column at OutdoorNews.com. We've got that up on the website for free for the short term. We're going to put it behind a paywall here probably uh, in less than a month. So if you want to see my comments specifically, you can go to OutdoorNews.com and read them there. But I'll share with WCCO Outdoor listeners, I I think she, she looks brilliant. Uh, she's very, very uh, indoctrinated in the Pheasants Forever Habitat mission already. Already that was the one thing that I said is that I said, you know, I'm a habitat guy. Uh, I believe it all kind of starts from there. And I said, you know, where do you fall on that? Is, is Pheasants Forever going to remain the habitat organization as long as you're around? And she said, without habitat, we have no place to go. We have to fight for habitat first because everything else comes after. Without habitat, there's nothing else, no cascade of events that can come without it. Habitat has to be the first thing we think about. So, yeah, the good answer, <laughs> pretty pretty clear that Pheasants Forever will remain the habitat organization uh, under the tutelage of Marilyn Vetter. Like I say, she's been the vice chair of PF for several years, been on the board for seven years, and really seems to know the organization very well. I, I did not talk to Matt Kacharski. He's the board chair. I suspect he and Marilyn uh, are pretty close, having worked on the board together for many years. Bob St. Pierre at PF told me they had like 150 applicants for the job. I think he said they interviewed at least a dozen, and uh, Marilyn was, was, uh, was the best candidate that they have. It sounds like they had a lot of good ones, but I'm not surprised after after interviewing her, that she's uh, that she got the job. She's, she and her husband own a kennel just across the river uh, in uh, Saint Croix County, Wisconsin. They are GSP people. That stands for German Short-Haired Pointers in canine parlance among uh, sportsmen out there. So uh, she's got all the tools. She's got a lot of great talent over there at PF, and I'm very optimistic for the future of that organization uh, here in Minnesota. Let's get in a break. I want to chat with my friend Sharon Statler, the bird chick. If you've got any interest in bird feeding or non-game nature kind of stuff, Sharon is your person. We're going to have a great conversation, live conversation. And we're more than happy to take some calls, by the way. I'm going to throw that number out quick. If you've got a bird watching question for Sharon, 
Give us a call, 651-461-9226. We'll be back. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. We're going to jump in now with our friend Sharon Steitler, the bird chick. Uh, we're going to talk bird watching. We're going to talk bird feeding, all things non-game. If you want to jump into the conversation, give us a call at 651-461-9226. With that, Sharon, are you there, old friend? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, it's it's good to hear your voice. Sharon and I have recorded a lot of recorded radio in the past, a lot of tape segments. I'm not sure we've ever been live before, so this is, this is very exciting. You are in Alaska. You finally getting a little daylight up there? Finally, yeah. And I do have to say, we have been live once, oh, and it was we? when I first met you, okay. and it was at the state fair. That's right. I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we had a conversation about cats, if memory serves. I yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that's where we first met. I think that's the only time we've done this live. And, yeah, it was a good time. And I was like, oh, this guy's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Well, so Sharon is a park ranger up at Denali National Park up in um, mm-hmm. in, in Alaska. Did I have that right, park ranger? Or are you the communications guru? I forget your exact title, Sharon. Yeah, I mean, I'm technically, if, if for those who know uh, the GS scale, I'm no longer classified as a park ranger. Okay. But uh, I do work for the National Park Service, and my official title is public affairs officer. There you go. Uh, which basically means... If 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 I, I write the press releases for the park, or if you see something from the Denali that says park officials, that's usually me. But you're well known here in the Twin Cities market as the bird chick. Uh, you worked in yeah. a in a bird seed store for years, and then uh, you've been you've done a lot of media appearances over the years, talking to folks about bird feeding and and winter winter birds, wildlife, that whole thing. Again, I want to encourage folks if they've got a question for Sharon, give us a call six five one four six one ninety two twenty six. But let's talk a little bit. So, you know, there might be people out there like, you know, I've always wanted to get into the bird feeding thing, uh, but I, I it's I don't know where to start. What what would you tell someone like that? It's, it's not too late this winter to start bird feeding, right? Yeah, you can feed birds whenever you want. And the first thing I want people to know is that uh, birds are not solely reliant on your bird feeder, so don't feel bad about that. Um, and if you're going to start with a bird feeder, the best seed to start with is black oil sunflower seed or a mix that is mostly black oil sunflower seed. So if you're buying a mix, you want one that's mostly dark in color. More birds eat that seed than any other bird seed. Um, and you can mix some other stuff into, like in the wintertime and in spring and fall, I love millet because juncos and white-throated sparrows and white-crowned sparrows will come in for that. But those are the two main things. And then if you want the woodpeckers, then, then you're going to want to look at suet and peanuts. Gotcha. Yeah, I have seen uh, all mix of birds already this year. Uh, you know, let's point out one thing. So if, if folks think, uh, gosh, you know, we've got a, a family vacation to Florida or something like that in, in early February, if, if I don't put bird feed out, then are, are all the birds going to starve? Am I responsible for starving birds? You, you can reassure folks that it's it's not quite that dramatic, right? No, no, no. And, I mean, you know, now that I'm working for a few years up in Alaska and, uh, you know, we have magpies that come by periodically to try and steal dog food from the sled dog kennel. And when the dogs are out on the park and patrolling for two to four weeks at a time, they suddenly lose that food source. We do not have dead magpies all over the <laughs> park. You know, birds <laughs> figure out how to have a wide variety of food sources. Uh, you know, we don't rely on just one grocery store or one restaurant to feed our families. You know, we, we have a variety of sources, and birds are the same way. You know, one thing I've noticed from some of your social media posts and talking to you a little bit is you know, this time of year, we're in Minnesota, where all the birds come down from Canada or Alaska, right, points north. 
you're way up north, which means has everything bailed out? Are there not a lot of birds to see in Alaska this time of year? <laughs> there are not. I finally just saw 10 bird species for the year wow. yesterday because I finally got a rough grouse. I mean, so we have a handful of birds. There aren't very many. But, yeah, all those juncos. I, somebody posted a video where you could hear juncos in someone's Minnesota backyard the other day. I was like, oh, I missed them. They breed here, but they're not here right now. And it's funny because people say, oh, I couldn't take the cold in Alaska. I couldn't take the darkness. I'm having a tough time with how silent it is because there are just so few birds. <laughs> yeah, no, go figure. I guess that uh, that makes sense. You were talking about the best seeds to use for birds, mm-hmm. for bird feeding, and you talked about black oil sunflower seeds. Why why, why is that so important? What What is it about sunflower seeds that make them so important to our uh, feathered it's- friends? It's got a high fat content. It's got good protein content. It's it's a seed, you know, it's from the sunflower. So it's 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 a seed birds just they, they can get a lot of nutrition from it and it especially helps in cold weather and and they really like it and it has wide appeal to several species. You know, goldfinches really like niger thistle, but they will also eat black oil sunflower seeds. Whereas a cardinal doesn't really go for the thistle, but it will go for the black oil sunflower seeds. And you can spend some money on this stuff. Any tips for folks uh, to you know to buy bird seed in bulk? Is, is that a good idea if they really get into this? Um, it depends on the seed. So for Niger, I don't don't buy more than what you will use in six months at a time because there does seem to be a shelf life to that. And once it's six months old, the finches lose interest. Um, with black oil sunflower seed, you can get away with seed that's over two years old. Uh, I will say, if you're someone who finds a really great deal on black oil sunflower seed. Uh, that's significantly cheaper than everywhere else, chances are that seed is at least two years old. Hmm. And if you have somebody who's bringing the big bucks and going for black oil sunflower seed at top dollar from, say, uh, a specialty store, they're going to get more birds than you because the birds totally taste the difference. Like, I, I, I knew someone once who didn't believe me when I told him that birds didn't like older seed, and he happened that happened to be his job was inspecting seed. And so he cracked the sunflower seed apart, he weighed it, and he's like, I did all these time tests with bird seed. And, yes, the nut meat does shrivel after two years and is less desirable to the birds. Hmm, interesting. Sharon, I over the holidays we visited some uh, some relatives, and they have – they're big time into bird feeding, which is great. And they had every species you might expect to be at a bird feeder there all at once. It was, it was a pretty good cold snap, uh, and it was when mm-hmm. we had that winter storm come through. So I think the birds were they were working it pretty hard. Uh, it was a score for me. I saw a tufted titmouse. That's not something you see oh, too often at, at, uh, at, at some of the bird feeders. Uh, but, uh, you know, describe what, you know, what are especially what are some of the colorful birds that folks might see at winter bird feeders uh, in Minnesota this time of year, I mean, the, I guess the cardinals the big, the most biggest and co- most colorful, huh? Cardinal and house finch are going to be two of your most mm. colorful birds. You get blue jays. Um, some people have northern flickers that are still hanging yep. around, and that's yep. a fairly colorful woodpecker. Um, and you know, if you really want to get some colorful birds, head up to Zaxim Bog. Uh, it's a great gross beak year this year. Uh, a lot of the species that come to the northern part of Minnesota, they're what's called eruptive. And it's based on what tree crops have done uh, up north of the the lower 48. And this year, um, it's great to see evening gross beaks, which kind of look like a goldfinch on steroids. Uh, the beautiful pink pine gross beaks are up there. You might even catch some crossbills. So Zaxenbog is really a great place to go. And if you haven't been before, you should check out the Friends of Zaxenbog uh, page for tips and pointers. And 
you know, I also highly recommend hiring a guide because they're going to be the ones that can help you find the northern hawk owl and the great gray owl up there. We're chatting with Sharon Staitler, the bird chick, our friend, uh, a little bit about winter bird feeding. She's never joined me on WCCO Outdoors before, but I'm excited to have her here today. You can follow her. Uh, you know, just look for her handle, bird chick, on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be. You know, you, you talked about going to Zaxim Bog and seeing a lot of different birds. That gets into the whole birding list thing. And, and earlier you talked about your list for 2023 is a big 10 uh, thus far because you're, you're in Alaska where there's not a lot going on right now. Talk a little bit about that. That whole birding list thing that's part of the uh, the bird watching culture. Yeah, yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm just going to be upfront. I'm a terrible lister. I couldn't tell you how many birds I've seen in my lifetime. I know it's a few thousand just based on where I've been. But a lot of people will uh, pick uh, they'll pick their their code. Like maybe they go with the American Birding Association rules, or maybe they go with the uh, American Ornithology rules, or they there's a big phrase of my list, my rules. And so you, you can count birds based on how many you see in a year, how many you've seen in your life. Uh, some people will take it down to county, how many birds they've seen in a specific county or their favorite park. Um, so, yeah, and there are all sorts of ways to keep track of it. The most popular is eBird. It's a free to set up an account, and then you can use that with the eBird app to track your birds. And, you know, if you're new to birding and you get really confused with field guides, uh, eBird also does this amazing app called Merlin. It's absolutely free, and it helps you identify birds. Uh, it'll ask you a series of questions, or you can upload a photo, or it will even uh, take recordings and help you identify birds uh, based on sound. It's really quite amazing. Last chance to check in with Sharon if you've got a question, 651-461-9226. Earlier in our conversation, Sharon, you dropped that word eruptive. Uh, that's something yeah. that people might have paused. What, what, what's she talking about? Eruption, you know, eruptions. We don't have any volcanoes here. Th- this is a word. It's, it's first of all, it starts with an I. Eruption, eruptive, yep. and it applies to birds. I- explain that, and then I will throw in. This has not been a real big eruption year, I don't think. Correct, at least in Minnesota. Depends on the species you're talking about. So some birds have migrations. Uh, so uh, you know, you have some birds like. Tree swallows. They'll go from Minnesota and they'll go down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, so, so or red-winged blackbirds. They're here in the summertime. They go down to certain areas of the southern United States. Then you have species that aren't as predictable. And some years we'll have a ton, and some years we won't have any. And it's all based on food availability. Uh, an example of that would be snowy owls. Mm. Uh, some years we have several snowy owls in the state. Some years we only have a handful. As a matter of fact, apparently I am the only one who has seen a snowy owl at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport this winter. Oh. Uh, I, I passed through the Twin Cities uh, in um, November, and uh, I was taxiing on the runway, and there was a snowy owl. Um, and it <laughs> hasn't been reported there since, and people aren't seeing them. They are seeing one at the Duluth Airport. So that's uh, an uh, Sharon, I heard about one in California, actually. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Have you read about the controversy with that one? Well, I, I didn't know there's controversy with it. I didn't know that. Well, first, it wasn't believed uh, that it was like like maybe it was an escape pet because there, oh. it hasn't been and there haven't been a lot of snowy owls reported. Sure. And then people are like, you know what? It's probably a ship assisted bird. Snowy owls ride ice floes. So it probably just got <laughs> on a ship. And, and, and well, now there's a whole controversy of, well, if it came down on a ship, then it's not really countable. OK, interesting. Oh, highly yeah. controversial. Wow. Yeah, well, owls always are. Sharon, we're sadly about out of time. I'm, I 
Glad you were able to join us for a few minutes. You know, maybe we'll check in with you quarterly. You know, get you on here. And we'll talk a little bit uh, when when migration gets rolling here in in March and April. That. that that time frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. February, I'm going to be down in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, teleworking and taking some vacation time. So, if you have any questions about Texas birds, let me know. <laughs> gotcha. Well, Sharon, if folks like this segment, they want to learn more about you. Where where can they find you? Um, Instagram, I'm on there as Bird Chick. Twitter, I'm on there as Bird Chick. Uh, you can always email me at Sharon at BirdChick.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to catch up with you. Stay. <laughs> good luck dealing with the darkness. It's it's starting to wane. I know you're gonna you're gonna start gaining a lot of time up there. Uh, we miss you. And uh, look me up next time you're in town. Will do. I'll see you soon. All right, Sharon Stately, the Bird Chick. We appreciate her checking in. Uh, let's break. We're gonna talk to a DNR guest when we. Return, talk about some internship opportunities uh, up at the uh, Minnesota DNR here this year. Uh, moving on from, uh, from owl controversy, stick around. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk, 830. Rob Jerislein here with you for another segment. We are going to jump in now uh, with an interview with Lucas Schultz. Lucas is with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, so off we go. Going to jump in now with someone I've never interviewed before here on a topic I don't know that we've ever broached. It's pretty timely, and I, I've got kids in college, so I'm thinking about this topic that we're about to unveil. Uh, Lucas Schultz is joining us. He is with Human Resources and Employment Services with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, here to talk about internship opportunities at the agency this spring and summer. Lucas, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the program. Uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Like I say, I've got a son who is a junior in college right now, and he's uh, he's in computer science, and he's applying for some internships as we speak for summer 2023. It's really prime time for young people right now in college if they're if they're looking to build some experience and they want to get uh, an internship opportunity with an agency like the DNR. Now's the time to apply, right? Yeah, we have. Uh... Over 200 posted right now uh, with opportunities across the state. Um, our initial deadline for those is January 31st. Some will be extended, but we start pretty early. Uh, we have a, a lot of activities over the summer, so we like to, to get started as early as we can planning those. This is as many internships as you will post all year, I presume, right? Yes. Yep. Right now is is uh, when we start doing our outreach and um like I said, some may continue past the end of January, uh, but we'll be making the bulk of our decisions uh, as early as we can. Now, I was perusing some of them that I saw posted, and you, you, of course you see things like real traditional Department of Natural Resources activities that are really intriguing to someone, right, who wants to become a wildlife biologist or work out of doors, things like wildlife banding intern. But there's a real host of internship opportunities, right, from IT to, like I say, working in the field. Yeah, um, all of our activities, uh, you know, really peak over the spring and summer. And so all of our departments need different types of, of assistance so that we can uh, serve, you know, the populations of Minnesota and all the different activities that we do. Um, and like you said, you know, a lot of them are sort of the traditional outdoor supporting research, uh, but a lot of them are educational, doing outreach, uh, doing marketing. I, I believe all of our divisions uh, are seeking some sort of intern support. So there's a, a large diversity of opportunity out there. Back in my day, I'm a Gen Xer uh, who graduated into a really lousy economy in the early 90s. A lot of uh, internships were unpaid. That's pretty rare these days, right? All these interns, I presume, pay probably pretty well. 
Yeah, we uh, all of our internships pay $15 an hour, which we think is, you know, pretty competitive. Definitely, I believe the age of the unpaid internship, it just isn't as attractive, I think, to young people, uh, different kind of lifestyle requirements these days. Uh, so $15 an hour, we feel, is, is pretty reasonable. And, and all of our internships also count for academic credit. Uh, which we feel is a big uh, a big lure, and it's a it's a requirement for our internships too that you be registered in a degree seeking program. Are there any internships within the DNR where you see a, a relatively few number of applicants? I mean, year after year, it's like, man, oh man, we need to we need to fill these, and we just can't get a lot of people to apply. Uh, you know, if there's someone out there listening, maybe you can you can resonate with them right now, Lucas. Uh, well, definitely. You know, some of our outstate opportunities um, may be challenges uh, if people see something and they might not immediately have, you know, housing in mind. It's not in an area that they live. Um, I would encourage people to still apply while, you know, the, the position is open um, and there's time to kind of work those things out. Some of our internships that have many positions, like our watercraft uh, inspectors, I think we're hiring 46 of those. That's quite a few spots to fill. So sometimes that can be a challenge, um, but but we tend to to work really hard on on reaching people where they're at and and getting the word out. So definitely over the past couple years, because of the pandemic, we had less offerings. Now that we have more um, and people are getting out there more, it has been less of an issue. Uh, describe some of the types of internships that exist. You know, like like the watercraft inspector that you just mentioned. There's a lot of those. Sure. Well, what would someone be doing a field if they if they received one of those internships? Yeah, I mean, just starting with the watercraft inspector, it's it, it is what it sounds like, and you've probably seen them if you're at one of our uh, public uh, boat launches. But they uh, look at watercraft going in and out of the water. They uh, you know try to educate the public about invasive species, and they um, help protect our waters. So I think in October um, there was uh, a news story that was floating about about how starry stonewort was prevented from entering Lake Superior, and that was due to the efforts of our watercraft inspectors. Um, so they do a little bit of outreach and and also uh, you know manually actually checking for invasive species. That's yeah. pretty cool, right? I mean, yeah. uh, not yeah. only do you, do you make a little cash and build some experience and get academic credit, but by golly, you might actually help improve the world a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we really couldn't protect and conserve uh, nature the way we do without all of our uh, intern support. Yeah. Another, another one that I thought was, was pretty cool that I saw was in our parks and trails division. You know, we have a lot of people that do, you know, lead interpretive naturalist programs for mm -hmm. children and adults. And this year we have, um, I think they're calling it a bat ambassador at our Forestville mystery cave state park oh, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that installs, bat boxes and then does educational programming uh, around uh, bats in the ecosystem. That's a beautiful little state park. That'd be a fun little gig, I would think. Uh, you could do worse. And there's a lot to talk about with bats these days, too. You're listening to WCCO Out of Doors. I am Rob Dreeslein. We are chatting with Lucas Schultz. He is in Human Resources and Employment Services with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, chatting a little bit about internship opportunities at the agency this spring and summer. So if you're a young person out there listening right now, tune in. There might be a, a job opportunity for you if you're interested in natural resources. How do folks apply? Where can they start, Lucas, in terms of tracking down some of these internships? Yeah, we post uh, all of our internships on the Minnesota Careers site, which is uh, mn.gov slash mmb slash careers. Uh, but you can also just go to the DNR's website. We have a big banner all month, and that's dnr.state.mn.us. 
you know, either of those uh, uh, portals are going to get you to the right place and have the um, have all the information that you need to know how to apply. Lucas, I don't know if you have any metrics on this, but any idea what percentage of DNR interns go on to work for the DNR? Or uh, at least anecdotally, I suspect, uh, you know that there's a lot of probably full-time employees at the DNR right now who got their start as an intern at the agency. Yeah, for us, um, part of the reason um, it's a program that we care so much about is uh, our internships are what we consider a talent pipeline. So, you know, we are you know, we're looking for, you know, direct and immediate support, but we're wanting to, to build professionals and build that talent pipeline. Um, and we hope that people come back. And uh, for students, it's also a, a way to build a network that they haven't had before and hopefully get their foot in the door later for, you know, their first professional steps for a full-time job. So yes, absolutely. It's very desirable for our positions if we see that someone has been a former intern. Now, Lucas, I don't know how long you've been at the agency or how long you've been in this role. Um, so maybe you can speak to this from your personal observations or maybe, again, have some data looking back. But is the number of applicants that you're getting for DNR internships, is it at an all-time high? Is it average? Is it low? I mean, let's face it, we've got record low unemployment almost in this country right now. All we hear about is the labor shortage. Is that influencing the number of people who apply for internships at the agency? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't have any direct metrics. I do know that um, I the you know the feeling and the messaging that I'm getting from people that are asking is especially for um, you know people who are probably upperclassmen, um, like you mentioned your son. The past couple of years, there's been less opportunities uh, just because of the pandemic and people not always knowing how to accommodate. And uh, and the DNR, although we didn't stop offering internships, uh, we offered fewer in 2020 and 2021. So we're hearing from some of those folks who maybe had less opportunities when they were underclassmen are now reaching that point of graduation and, and looking for opportunities. So mm -hmm. we're getting more of that kind of uh, that question is, is there still time kind of thing? Interesting. Yeah, that might be a little bit of what my son has been dealing with. <laughs> so one more time, the deadline to apply for most of these internships is the end of the month. Is that what you said? January 31st is our uh, initial deadline. Uh, there may be some extension, um, but I would definitely, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily count on it. And I would encourage people to get their applications in early. And again, for folks who may have missed it, where can they go and find the information and see the list of internship opportunities and how can they apply? Yep. Uh, you can apply directly by going to the Minnesota Careers site, which is mn.gov slash mmb slash careers, or you can go to the DNR's website, which is dnr.state.mn.us, and there'll be a link there as well. Well, Luke, it's fun getting to know you a little bit here today. Good luck. Uh, I hope you, have, you find a lot of great interns, a lot of good young people to uh, build some experience and maybe lead the agency into the future. Thanks so much, Rob. Uh, Lucas Schultz with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources talking about internship opportunities at the agency. Let's break more of the broadcast after these messages. Everybody, welcome back. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Jerisline here for a few more minutes. Uh, got a moment or two if anyone wants to check in. Give us a call at 651-461-9226. When we are done, stick around. News at the top of the hour. Then 60 minutes will kick off. And then our friend uh, Steele talking with Jerry Lynn Steele. I presume it's 7 o'clock, uh, so stick around for that. Uh, lots of good programming coming at you on WCCO, out, uh, WCCO even after WCCO Outdoors is over. Uh, so a couple news headlines I thought I would mention. The uh, DNR issued a press release this week noting that there are 15 new state conservation officers 
in Minnesota. If you read the cuffs and collars section in Outdoor News, you'll see lots of times they call the, they call it uh, conservation officer in training. Will be out. Well, they're no longer in training. Those these folks have moved out to their new posts uh, from um, Rochester to uh, Osakis to War Road. Uh, that's where some of these new conservation officers are going to be uh, headed out. There are 155 field stations for COs in Minnesota, each covering about 650 square miles. Ponder that for a moment. That's a lot of uh, a lot of territory for a single CO conservation officer to cover. And try to make sure that the that poachers are not uh, taking too many of Min- taking any of Minnesota's resources. They they belong to the general public. So it's uh, good to know that there's 15 new bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young COs uh, afield. There are still 15 stations uh, without full-time dedicated coverage. They get a fair amount of coverage, I believe. Those uh, the existing officers will go out and work overtime to cover some of those districts. But there's going to be a Conservation Officer Academy this spring uh, and plans uh, to begin a hiring process for another academy in 2024. So that's good. Uh, I'm glad the uh, agency's looking to hire some some additional officers because, you know, they get a lot of retirements too. You know, it's a law enforcement position. Those folks, I think, can retire after 20 years. Uh, lots of times they have other uh, law enforcement background. But it's it's an ongoing battle to keep uh, keep filling those positions. There was a public meeting. If you listen to this broadcast, you know we've talked about chronic waste and disease being found in Buffalo County in western Wisconsin. Uh, that's a real big story, an unfortunate story, because it's one of the best trophy deer hunting counties in the country. And it got me thinking a little bit about when I was a kid, I hunted Buffalo County. And I, you know, I knew it was Buffalo County, but I didn't know it was, you know, Buffalo County name and lights, right? It, it's become just this revered, renowned area since then. And I remember my dad had a, I don't know, early 80s, late 70s Chevy pickup with a with a stick shift on it that was about four feet long. And, and driving that was one of the first vehicles I learned to drive on. Driving that thing up through those some of those big valleys in Buffalo County and my old man looking at me and saying, this is a big country, eh, kiddo? And I was like, yeah, it's a lot. of my, my dad loved it, you know, when I would – He'd go on stand, and then I'd I'd drive to him, right? I'd try to what you know, kick up a kick up a deer, kick up kick up a big buck, uh, to to uh, to try to bring home. And it struck me how much that has changed. You know, a couple guys just getting permission, a dad and his kid getting permission on a small parcel of property, or ever, even a fairly large parcel of property, in the middle of Buffalo County. That was has got to be almost impossible now to pull that off uh, because of the leasing and the outfitting that's going on. Uh, I'm hearing about farms being bought up down there, and, and that's not new. Uh, like I say, I was out hunting there early to mid-'80s when, you know, that was about as rural as you could possibly get. No one knew where Buffalo County was then. But then, you know, you had you had hunting media like me uh, publicizing some of the big bucks taken out of there, and all of a sudden uh, property Values started increasing as outfitters moved in and said, uh, "Hey, we'd we'd like to host hunters uh, in this neck of the wood, neck of the woods, uh, for for hunting." And it, and it's if anything, it's accelerated, and that's one reason there's such a backlash to chronic wasting disease ending up down there because it's that potentially could affect land values down there. I tell you what, listening in on that public meeting and moreover watching the chat on the Zoom. The Zoom chat that accompanied that meeting—it it was a little frustrating. I've been reporting on chronic wasting disease 
for at least 20 years uh, since it first popped up in the upper Midwest. And I was talking to Dean Bortz, also the editor of Wisconsin Outdoor News. He was listening in on it also, and he's like, has anyone paid attention to what we've been writing about the past two decades? It, it was, it's a little frustrating. Some of the questions you hear, some of the conspiracy theories that you hear, some of the notes that I saw in this chat, people suggesting that chronic waste and disease uh, it, it comes from a bacteria. It's not. It comes from a prion. Really basic stuff that we've been reporting on for decades, and it's just not sinking in. And, and it's a little disappointing, I, I guess, given you know the, the controversy involving a human disease, right, COVID, uh, that, that erupts and the conspiracy theories that erupt over something like that. It's not surprising that some of the same problems uh, occur when you're talking about a wildlife disease like chronic wasting disease. Uh, nonetheless, we're just going to try to keep reporting the truth and, and sharing uh, whatever we can about uh, what's what's cooking in, in uh, western Wisconsin and across Minnesota, too, because it, it's an ongoing problem. Like I say, we'll be back next week. Looking forward to a great broadcast. I think we're going to talk about stream trout a little bit. We're definitely going to have some fresh reporting on the DNR Roundtable, which is going to be this Friday in Bloomington. Uh, I will be there. I'll have three of my reporters there. We're going to have a team of four, so we're going to really cover it in Outdoor News, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of the details also here on WCCO Outdoors. I want to thank my guests. I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank Jonathan Lowe, another great job uh, running the board, producing this fine broadcast, and I want to thank all the listeners who have joined us for the past one hour. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesign signing off for WCCO Outdoors.